welcome. I am so glad we have this time together right now to talk about this message called Under Construction. This is part of our It's Time to Build series. I started a few weeks ago where I talked about how this new season is a time to build for all of us. It's very unique, it's tailor-made because God wants to work through you to build a better and greater life. So let's get this message started under construction. I'll be back at the end to tell you more about the work of Life Church. We are in a new chapter, a chapter of possessing God's promises. And two weeks ago, I talked about and announced this is a season, a time to build. And today, I want to take us a step further in what it means by a time to build. Just turn to the person next to you and ask them, are you ready to build? Are you ready? A building season is so much different than a season of just sowing. A building season looks entirely different than a season of just counting the cost. A building season is a season of activity and action. An activity where that which has been laid dormant for a long period of time suddenly becomes forward. It becomes something that we all have to intentionally focus on. And so I wanted to take us to Ezra chapter 1 and Ezra chapter 5. Because the book of Ezra has some powerful truths that I wanted to introduce. That I want to say that today is a two-part day. Because today is the day when I am talking and teaching and introducing one of the most important vital aspects for the people of God to understand, which is who the Holy Spirit is. And then tonight, we will be praying for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I know what this is like because often the Holy Spirit creates more heat than light, and yet God's Word is so clear. And if we can just clearly teach what the Bible teaches, we don't have to fear the Holy Spirit who is a comforter, who is our helper. We don't have to fear him. No, the Bible introduces him in a way that's so beautiful. And I have never known the Holy Spirit to be disruptive or disorderly or dishonoring. So as we open the Word of God, we're going to set this up in Ezra, but bring this right through into a realm that we can understand. Because it's a time to build bridges, not walls. It's a time to bring hope and not harm. It's a time to build love and not hate. It's a time to build lives and not see them destroyed. And yet God relies on his church and his people to bring the love and the hope and the help that our world needs. Because God's solutions are not in our political institutions. God's solutions are not in the economically bright people in our universities. God's solutions are in churches like this one across across the globe today. God's trying to let the church understand that God has decided to limit his power to work through the local church. And so it's with that understanding we start to read the book of Ezra, chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved, note that word, the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. 
And this is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple at Jerusalem in Judea. Any of his people among you go up to Jerusalem and Judea and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. Let me pause here. Cyrus, the king of Persia, in his first year, according to the prophecy of Jeremiah, began to build the house of the Lord. You see, often we think that God's only solutions are within the four walls of local church. No. We serve a God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And here we see Cyrus, the most powerful king at that time that had ever been, in his first year of leadership, and God moved his heart to build his house. God can move the hearts of whatever political leaders, whatever situation you and I face, whatever business you're going through at the moment, God can step in and cause favor and increase to come to you. And here in the first year, Cyrus is moved. He is stirred, the Bible says in another translation. He's provoked. He's motivated. Now, what you've got to understand about this context is this was not a time when God's people were prospering. For 70 years, God's people were in exile. They had seen destruction, heartache, violence, rape, abuse, frustration, murder, crime. They'd seen all these horrible things happen. For 70 years, they were in captivity and bondage and slavery. And yet one day, in one moment, God said, enough is enough. And he raised up a king to put it in the heart to build their house. It is time to build. So here we are, we have Ezra beginning to write these words. And I find it fascinating that Ezra's name literally means Yahweh helps, God helps. Does anybody here need help? Does anyone listening to this service by podcast or watching it later, do you need help? Because our God is our ever-present help in time of need. And here in this situation, when God's people were desperate, a man called Ezra, God helps, emerged on the scene because God had predestined, God had, God had someone ordained, ready to step forward and bring the help. You need to know right now, somebody here, you need to know that God has preordained and predestined people to help you. Political institutions, he has, he has got people lined up. You don't know where they are yet, but you're going to bump into them. It's called God's surprise. And you can just go through your day-to-day -day experience, the finance you need, the relationships you need. I believe that God has been preparing them for you when you were worshiping this morning. I believe that God was doing and moving behind the scenes when you just began to step up. And we're seeing miracles here at Life Church. Are you seeing miracles in your life? Because the thing about this is that when you start to step up, you start to bump into these things, these provisions that God laid up for you. And I take great courage when I read Ezra chapter 1. See, I'm reminded that we often face challenges that we didn't expect. We often face situations that come, the unexpected things, and and the things that we can't control, the death of a loved one, the challenges that we face, the things we didn't see coming. And, and, and here we have God's people. They didn't see that they'd go into bondage for 70 years. They didn't plan that out. This was heartbreaking. 
They got carried away in captivity and, and horrible things happened to them. They didn't know it was coming. And when things happen to you that are unexpected, how you respond in those moments is crucial because we're all gonna go through those challenges. It's called the human experience. And when you go through those challenges, I thank God that God is our help. I love that. I, I was, as I was preparing today, I, I was reminded of something that happened to me years and years ago when I was a teenager. And, and I was going to my high school in my little town where I was raised, and my sister, my youngest sister, Carmen, was being bullied at school. And there's something about bullying that just is so horrible in society today, isn't it? In our schools and colleges and bullying. And I, I found out that my sister was frightened to go to school because there were these bullies that were threatening to do violence to her, to do sexual violence to her, and, and, to, and do horrible things. And it just, it just stressed me out. And in my need, although I wasn't walking with Jesus, I thought, I, I don't know what to do. And so I prayed. I pray, even though I didn't know who God was, I prayed, Jesus, can you help this situation? And guess what? Things got worse. Have you ever prayed and things get worse and not better? And you go, oh my gosh, now they're getting worse. This isn't how it's supposed to work. I went out to my car after I had prayed and after I told my sister, look, you can stand up to these bullies. What are their names? And, you know, I'm going to try to find some friends of mine and we're going to go sort them out in the name of Jesus. Because I wasn't saved then, that's how we rolled it, but it was hard to figure out who these people were. And so, so I went out to my car, and you know, at the end of the school day, and my car had all its tires slashed. Now those tires cost 100 pounds a piece. That, I don't have money to replace those tires. And I was heartbroken, and I thought, is this what it's like when you take a stand for righteousness, and then you have this damage that you've got to deal with the effect in? And I, I was upset about it, and again, I prayed. I said, God, you got to help me. And I remember taking the tire off because I, I had to put a car on a jack, take my tire off, take it to the local mechanic. And I watched the mechanic pull a broken switchblade out of the tire. And as he pulled the switchblade out of the tire and he held it up with a pair of pliers, I thought, so this is what it's like when you face people who try to stop and hurt? This is what it's like? You get your tire slashed? And I said, God, and my prayer wasn't full of faith. My God was a little spiteful, if I'm honest. My prayer was a little spiteful. I said, God, if you're real, can you help me? Not really thinking that God could intervene and help. But what I didn't realize is that not only was that bully bullying my sister, he was bullying other sisters too. And at that moment, God somehow made word get out to some of the different people that were being bullied that I was trying to help. And I got a phone call. And the phone call was from a sheriff. I don't know if you've ever met a sheriff before, but they're like specially trained local police officers that are in certain sections of the United States. And, and usually when you meet a sheriff, it's because you're in trouble. But when a sheriff phones you up and say, young man, I hear you need some help. I thought it was Clint Eastwood on the phone. <laughs> I'm like, I, I need some help because I've got some problems. He goes, young man, leave your problem with me. Don't know how he got my phone number. Don't know what happened. Didn't hear anything back. Until one day after school, I met a young kid who was about 16 years old, never seen him before. And he came to me and he said, Steve, I have to come to apologize to you. I said, well, who are you? He goes, I'm the one who knifed your tire. I'm the one who slashed it. And he said, I want to introduce him. And he said, I need you to know I've been to court. 
and the court have told me I have to pay back the damage that I've done. And he handed me a check for a refund plus 20% so that not only did he pay for the repair to my car tires, but he gave me extra besides. And then he said this to me, and looked me in the eye, and he said, can you forgive me? Now, I wasn't walking with Jesus. My first instinct was, I'll forgive you after I smack you, then I'll forgive you. <laughs> but I realized, as I talked to this man, how broken he was. I realized as I talked to him, he wasn't some, you know, person hell-bent to kill me, destroy me. He was a confused person. He was a person who needed direction in his life. So I found myself saying these words, I forgive you. I forgive you. Go and be in peace. I didn't even know what I was saying. And that chapter of my life came back to me because when you're going through some difficult times and they start to get worse, the place we turn should be like Ezra did to God. Psalm 21, 121 says, look to the hills because that's where your help comes from. When you look to the hills in the middle of your destructive times and things don't look like they're going good, things don't look like they're stacked up for you, if you look to God, who is your source, he has the power to deliver an entire nation. Don't you think he can deal with your gas bill? and he can deal with your little bit of finances. Don't you think he can deal with your relational difficulties? I mean, come on, church. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, your provider, your helper, your ever-present help in time of need. He can take care of those situations when you're struggling and you're sitting there in your business and you're looking at the Excel spreadsheet at a P&L and you're like, I don't know where my next uh, buyer is gonna come from. And, and you're stressed about it. You know, in a moment like that, the best thing you can do is say, God, you're my help. I'm doing what I can do, you do what you can do, and I'm gonna go home, I'm gonna see my family, I'm gonna see my kids, and I'm gonna leave you with the problems. I have seen God do miracles after miracles after miracles after miracles after miracles. But if you get stressed out and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do, and you start to panic, no, you say, God, even if I don't really believe this prayer, I'm asking for your help anyway. I think there were 70 years of captivity where God's people had been praying prayers like this. God, I don't know if you're real, but I'm praying, can you one day, can you help us? And then when God stepped in, it was so dramatic, he used Cyrus. They call him Cyrus the Great. You can read about him through history, not even through the Bible, but through extra biblical sources, historical sources. They, they record the fact that Cyrus was one of the wealthiest kings that have ever lived today. And you know what I believe, Live Church? I believe God is going to send kings to help you. He's going to send kings and princes and leaders to bless you and your family and your business leader. He's going to give you favor and increase. He's going to help you so that your teenagers are going to get out of debt and your grandchildren are going to be blessed. And as you step up, you're going to step out and you're going to see healing break out in your family and your friends. When you start to apply and believe the word of God, it's a total and complete game changer. And we are thinking so small often, and I am trying to get my thinking where God's thinking is. I'm trying not to see through my perspective, but like it says, the mighty prophet Isaiah, he said, my ways are higher than your ways. 
We have to think not through a carnal mindset, but through a godly mindset. We have to approach our children and our future from God's perspective. Not about what we can see, but about what God can see. I am preaching better than your amen, and I am preaching better than you responded. And there's another level I can bring if you start to respond and you draw it out for me. Or you're just going to be like, okay, that's enough. That's all I got. I just came for a cozy church experience. I don't know about you, but I don't want no cozy church experience. I wasn't saved for a cozy church experience. God, you're either real and you bring revival in our generation or bring us home to heaven, Jesus. Let that be our prayer. God, either we'll see breakthrough in the colleges and the university and revival in our generation, and we'll see the slaves and the prisoners that are under bondage of addictions and sexual immorality and broken divorce and blended families. Either we'll see miracle of restoration and healing or Jesus take us home. Which is it gonna be? Well, since you prayed that prayer and you're still sitting at Live Church this morning, I guess you've only got one option. I guess it's up to us to change our thinking, change our mindsets, start to apply the word of God. You know, if I had a pound for every time somebody said, Steve, why are you still in Bradford? Why does not go back and live in America? I would be a multimillionaire by now. And I keep saying life is what you make it. It's not what you inherit. It's not what you have right now. Life is what you turn it into be. And here in Ezra, God was trying to help God's people get this. So here we got the context. The King Cyrus says, okay, there you go. It's all started out for you. I'm providing the finance. I'm providing the wealth. Now it's up to you. I've got everything laid out. The stage is all ready. There it is. What kind of life do you want to build? What kind of future do you want to build? What kind of home do you want to build? And Ezra's like, there it is. Cyrus has provided it. And now they have to find people who are willing to do the work. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 5. Ezra chapter 5. In Ezra chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 11. Because this is their response. When the people said this, they said, We are the servants of God, heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, one that a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our ancestors angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldean, king of Babylon, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, we just read it in chapter one. Here he's picking it up again in chapter five. King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house of God. He removed the temple of Babylon, the gold and silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them back. Then King Cyrus gave them a man called Shesh Bazaar. Everybody say that name, Shesh Bazaar. What a great name. Shesh Bazaar, whom he appointed governor. And he told them, take these articles, these articles of gold and silver, and go and deposit them in the temple of Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God on its site. Verse 16. So this Shesh Bazaar came and laid the foundations of the house of God in Jerusalem. Listen to this. From that day to the present, it has been under construction, but it is not yet finished. Title of my message today is, 
under construction. We are under construction. Our lives are like a building site. We're being built day by day. We're being built into this amazing, beautiful, spectacular home for Jesus. Our lives, our home, our families, our marriages, our neighborhoods. God is building our lives. We are truly under construction. And here this man, Shesh Bazaar, who started off in the governor, this is the only time he's mentioned. He disappears after this. He goes off the pages of scripture after this. We don't see him after this. Next, we see a whole different team of builders coming in and emerging. And in this same way, I think Shesh Bazaar represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who we don't understand sometimes who the Holy Spirit is. Almost, he almost, who is this invisible Holy Spirit? Is he like the force? Use the force. No, he's not. Is he like this nebulous karma that's out there? No, he's not. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. Godhead. He's co-equal. He's co-eternal. He's co-existent. He works with us, even though we don't often recognize his ways. And here we have Shesh Bazaar starting to bring this out. And, and the first thing that Shesh Bazaar was instructed to do was to do this amazing thing called lay the foundations. Laying foundations is a crucial part, but, but before we talk about foundations, first we have to figure out more about Shesh Pesar, because, because before we get into the foundations, we have to go before the foundations. So in other words, we have to go from the context to the pretext. The context is where we are today. It's where we're sitting right now. It's the cumulative experience of all the years that we've lived. We're here today because of however many years you've been serving God or how many years you've been involved, that's your context. But your pretext is very important. Your pretext is where you come from. Your pretext is your culture, your values, your system. And this pretext is so important that we understand it because I've realized that our pretext is all too often an excuse for our context. Our pretext is often an explanation, well, I can't serve God today because of you don't know when I was abused. Because of, you don't know that I was never loved as a child. And you know, we have, and I so respect psychologists and people who help us think and the godly ones that we have in our church that are amazing and serving the body of Christ. But we also have this crazy kind of advice that tells people you will never change because of what happened to you 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. In other words, there's no hope for you. We can medicate you, we can isolate you, but we can't free you. Do you know what that is? That's a lie from the pit of hell. And, and, and I, I want you to know that Jesus came to set you free. This is good news for those in prison or those that are here today or listening that are in the prison of their mind that can't break out of their past. Jesus can help you. That's why I believe this in 2 Corinthians, it says that therefore, everybody say therefore. If anyone is in Christ, the old is gone. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come and I am a new creation. Come on, somebody thank the Holy Spirit that he's making us to be new creations. Now, 
that doesn't mean we're finished yet. Shesh Bazar teaches us in Ezra 5 that, that it is not yet finished. What did it say? It said, from this day, way back to when that day started, the day I was in church, the day I accepted Jesus, from that day to this day, I'm still under construction. That means, can we not judge each other in the house of God? Can we not shoot our wounded in the house of God? Can we not look sideways at each other, kind of like these ugly, dirty looks? Instead, can we love people? Can we break bread together? Can we believe God together? Can we lift up the broken together? Can we encourage people together? If we can't do it in the presence of worship and all the atmosphere that we have in a local church, how can we ever do it in our neighborhoods? And yet, here in the north of England and around the world where we're working, the spirit of the age infiltrates our minds. It comes in and that pretext of whatever society says we should be becomes the excuse for our context. And yet when we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, he will not accept my pretext and your pretext. The Bible calls that the fear of God. And he'll show you and I what our life could have been if we would have built with the right materials. So I want to ask you, what foundation is laid in your life? What foundation are you building on? Are you building on a foundation of hope? Or are you building on a foundation of unforgiveness or bitterness? Are you building on a foundation that says that with God, like I taught two weeks ago, all things are possible? Or are you building on the foundation of, well, I'm not so sure you're going to come through, Lord. I'm not so sure you're going to provide. I am standing here saying, if you doubt, the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. So please don't doubt the word of God. Do the hard work of praying unbelieving prayers like I did. God, I don't know if you're really real, but my sister's in a mess. I'm in a mess. I don't know what to do. And God answers unbelieving prayers. Come on, somebody. I'm so glad for that. Because I wouldn't be here today if it was about my faith. It's about his grace. It's about his extension of love. It's about his power. And if we can identify that and articulate that, then our lives will be so much more in harmony and in peace. So let's eliminate excuses, explanations that say, I am who I am and therefore I cannot be who you're calling me to be. Wow. There, that pretext of I am who I am so I can't go on to the next level. Well, you know, God's waiting. God's waiting for you to stand up and say, I'm ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand up? Somebody needs to stand up. Somebody needs to step out. Let's eliminate those pretextual, contextual issues and, and all that stuff. And I'm living proof that a guy who's been called from America, I mean, come on, somebody, can be in Bradford? Oh, gosh. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't, does not make any sense. But my pretext can't be an excuse for my context because my future is eternal. So I have to live from my future state and pull that into my ever-present reality. See, we're facing this way. We're like, oh, I, I see all my weaknesses. I see my pain. I say, no, no. Let go of your weaknesses. Turn around and go, no. My eternal state is going this way into hope and health and heaven. And then what that does is, is, that, is that enables all those people who are with you in your weakness. You say, come on, somebody. Let's get them on. Come on, let's pick it up. I'm taking you with me. And you pick it up and you, ca you carry it forward. And if you stay in this zone of, oh my gosh, I'm all on this, well, guess what you live in? You live in a cage of confinement. You live in a cage where this is my area, 
and everything outside of this area is fear. Everything outside of this area is, I'm not so sure if I'm ready for that. You know, instead, step out and know that you're just under construction. So let's look at what this foundation is. Let's look at what kind of foundations we need to lay in our life. If you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings of Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and the faith in God. Instruction about baptisms. Let me stop there. Baptisms. Let me talk about baptisms, plural. Baptisms, plural. Not that singular, but plural. That word baptisms, we talked about it before with water baptisms. It means to immerse completely. And often you see baptisms happen when we bring in people and they're water baptized, and we know what that means. And we're, we're seeing that across the body of Christ. And yet, this baptisms, plural, raises another question. Why is it not baptism singular? Well, it's not baptism singular because Jesus just didn't die to make us free. Jesus died so we could be empowered to make others free. So we're free, but now we have to move beyond our own freedom into helping other people. So if it was just about our own state, our own baptism, well, we could just hold people under the water then, let them drown, go to heaven to be with Jesus. Because after all, that's the goal, isn't it? That we're forever in heaven, and if eternity is what it is, then we might as well just all, no, that's not the goal. The goal is that God wants to send his power to transform the world, and the irony is he wants to use the person next to you to do it. Just look at the person next to you. Oh, my gosh. And say to that person you're looking to, you're it. Now, if that doesn't, if that doesn't frighten you, I don't know what else does. When I look at the problems in society today, you know what God says to me? He says, Steve, stop whinging about it and start doing something about it. Stop complaining and making excuses and accepting everything and start doing something else to love someone, to reach out to someone, to build a bridge and not the wall. Oh, but it's so easy to build a wall. Don't even get me going on the wall thing. Let's build bridges and not that. So let's talk about some of the foundations. John chapter 14, verse 16. You can take time and you can reflect and meditate in it, and I'll read a part of it out of the Amplified Bible. And you know, church, why I like the Amplified Bible. I love the Amplified Bible because it takes the nuances of the Greek language and makes them clear. And in verse 16 of John chapter 14, Jesus said this. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standbyer. What? That's one of the best definitions of the Holy Spirit I have ever read. Helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standbyer, to be with us forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because the Holy Spirit remains with you continually and will be in you. I will not leave you, Jesus said, as orphans, comfortless, bereft, and helpless, I will come back to you. After a little while, the world will see me. But until then, Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit, his advocate, his counselor, his helper, his encourager. And when you start to understand, then Jesus finished that passage by saying, peace, I leave with you. Holy Spirit is the giver of peace.
peace. Does anybody here need more peace in their marriage? Peace in their household, peace in raising teenagers, peace in dealing with the challenges that we face. The Holy Spirit is the key to our peace. The Holy Spirit can be recognized. You know, every morning I, I think, Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with me today. Holy Spirit, thank you that whatever I'm facing today, you're going to leave me as an orphan. Lord, some mornings I'm so tired, I need three cups of coffee before I get out of bed. Anybody else like that? I'm like, I know I'm drinking too much coffee, but, but the coffee somehow kicks in faster sometimes than I perceive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I know you're there, Holy Spirit, but I just need a little coffee before I get going in the morning. And, you know, I, we live in challenging times, and some mornings it's tough. I mean, when we're talking about under construction, we've got, we've got four construction projects going on right now at Life Church. And yet when I pray about them, I feel like God's saying, you need to find more friends. And I said, I know. I need more carpenters. I need more plumbers. I need more construction workers. Those are the friends I need. And as you start to do that and those kind of prayers, guess what? God sends you more construction workers and painters. And why? Because that's what you're praying for. What are you praying for? What, what season? Well, if you're trying to build, you're going to, need, you're going to need new tools. You're going to need people to go out to dinner with and ask you questions like, how's your marriage? How, how, how's your dating life? Who are you dating with at the moment? Are you sleeping with them or are you just like, what's up with that? What are you up to with that? You know, you're going to have to have people that talk about your foundations. They're going to get foundations. What is a foundation? It's the unseen. It's the realm in which everything else springs from. It's the support structure. It's the, it's the thing that carries all the weight. And if, you don't, if you're not cool with revealing your foundations with your friends, then you don't have enough friends to reveal your foundations to. So these foundations, the foundation of baptism, I'm just going to lift that one out and talk a little bit more about what that baptism is. The baptism is an initial filling of the Holy Spirit. And there's five initial experiences where people were baptized in the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Every one of those five has either a direct or an indirect reference to speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is the direct reference to that. I'm going to teach about that tonight. So if you've got any questions, come tonight and I'll get into that. I don't have time to get into it now because it needs proper explanation. It needs showing the Bible scriptures and looking at them and showing the reasons why it is. But for the moment, I just want to talk about how the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He's our comforter. He's our helper. He helps us in this under construction zone that we live in when we start to get challenged. What are the areas I'm talking about? I'm talking about our attitudes. Our attitudes. I'm talking about our motives. I'm talking about our desires, our wants, and our needs. You know, people make decisions based on what they need that can be the most destructive decisions they'll ever face. I need a new boyfriend, some sweet 18-year-old girl says. It doesn't matter that he's a total heathen. It doesn't matter that he's sex on legs. I need a boyfriend. I just need somebody who's going to hold my hand at Nando's and pay for my chicken. <laughs> Let me help you, young people. If an 18-year-old man pays for your chicken, he wants more than the chicken. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna get to know him. I'm just gonna like hang out with him. You got a deeper foundation you gotta go to. You got a foundation of trust that you gotta lay. 
Either you trust that God can provide everything you need, including a boyfriend, including every part, body part, nothing to go there. It works good, don't worry. You don't need to take the car for a test drive to find out if it works or not. And I know we live in a society that tells you, oh, you gotta test drive it before you get it to go. You gotta, you gotta test that car out. I'm like, listen, when you rev that engine up, it's only gonna go one direction. Don't put the keys in and turn that ignition. Don't go there. I'm helping somebody. Did you know that, did you know that STDs and some of the sexually transmitted diseases today are up a thousand percent amongst young people today? People talk about abortion, but the answer for abortion starts way before that. It's called self-control. It's called building your life on foundation. We're all making people feel bad for the consequences of their actions when what we should be doing is providing great alternatives and love them and options for their future. And until we're ready to provide those options, can we not judge people who are going through the scars of carrying emotional wounds? Can we just love them and give them the grace that they should have? Time's gone, I'm gonna finish. But God's not finished. I have to finish. I have to put a pause here. And yet the words of Ezra, chapter 5, ring in my mind that his work, your great work of building the lives of our people, of our congregation, of our church, it's under construction. You're under construction, church, every one of you. You're under construction. You're not here to please yourself or please your partner, or please your kids. You're here to please God. Your life is under construction. You're so hard on the people around you that you forget that, that God sees every thought you think before you think it. God sees every need you have before it even comes to pass. Hey, and if you can allow the Holy Spirit to be your partner, because that's what he is. And that's where I'm going to park this message up. The Holy Spirit, he's our partner. He helps us lay great foundations. He helps us find words to our friends around us say, I'm sorry I let you down, but I'm going to start doing better. He helps us find a language to say, I know I've been working too many hours at the office, but I'm going to come home early this week, and I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to actually talk to my kid. You know, he finds a way to get through our veneer and our, our ways of our shelters and our masks and and he gets right through there and he says, it's time for you to take your next step and get a life group or do the growth track or start serving in the house. Well, I don't want to do that because, oh my gosh, that church, they want to take all my time. Listen, Christian, what do you think you're going to do in heaven? Do you think you're just going to you know, sit around all day on like, you know, no, no, God's going to have work for us in heaven. But the work in heaven won't be the work that we have now. The work that we have here on the earth is our own lives so that we can be under construction. And that's why the Bible says this. It says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We have one job, just one job, just one job to make our temple be a, a home for God, that he dwells in us, that he's at peace in us. He, the Holy Spirit works through us. He flows through us. If you want more miracles to happen, get in peace with the Holy Spirit who's inside you. 
Miracles will flow. Healings will flow. Financial breakthrough will flow when you're at peace with who the Holy Spirit is. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about Life Church, check out the website, lifechurchhome.com.